Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 45 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. We have a special guest on the show here today, Bobby Sampson, going to be joining to talk a little bit of Rangers and Flyers hockey. They, of course, play each other for the first time tonight in Philadelphia at 7 p.m. Bobby is one of the biggest Flyers fans you will ever meet, but we won't hold that against him too much, like I said. And we've had a lot of very spirited hockey debates ever since our days back in college. All right, so without further ado, everyone, please welcome my special guest for today, Mr. Bobby Sampson. Bobby, how are we doing today, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate it. You got it, man. A lot to get to today, but we'll start with talking about Oscar Lindblom here. Obviously, you know, a very serious situation with the Flyers and really a player who was starting to kind of come into his own with the team. But obviously, this is a lot bigger than hockey. I mean, what's the reaction when, when you find out about something like this? Well, you know, there's a reason I've been given to Relay for Life my whole life is to uh, have these cancer things come up and be treated. Although I wish we had a cure because he was the cure for our team in that he's as good defensively as he is offensively and just kind of has that couturier uh, feel to his game. Very responsible player and really meant a lot to our success early in the season. I'm a little worried going forward because I called us to having a nice playoff run, assuming he was going to play our second line wing the entire way. Right. And now without him, I mean, we really he you could put him on any line and he covers people and defensively is so strong that you just he's never a liability. It's great. Yeah, you know, it's it, he hadn't quite gotten to the point, I don't think, where he'd become a household name yet, but he was becoming a good player. And, you know, if you're going to put together a championship team, I mean, this is a guy that you guys took. I looked it up and he was actually a fifth round pick in 2014, went 138th overall. I mean, at that point in the draft, it, it's very hit or miss. And it looks like the Flyers at least had you know, a pretty solid hit there, you know, they, and that's how you put together a team that's going to contend from championships. You got to get those complimentary players. And I, I think Oscar Lindblom, he really had already become that and just 23 years old. So maybe a guy who hadn't even hit his ceiling yet. Yeah. And you know, he's not the flashiest player, so it's hard to get right. those guys out of the minors, but I mean, just the defensive side. And also to speak to this, let's go right into Kevin Hayes, who everybody has said is the worst contract we've given out. And I completely disagree. And you've seen okay. him a lot, obviously. Yeah. But same style. I mean, his defensive presence, you don't get the puck in the offensive zone unless you get it out of your own zone first. And Correct. Drew and all those guys always preach that for years now. But Hayes really does a great job of that and kind of slows that you've seen his big body just slowing down the game and kind of can just put his butt out basically and get anybody off of him that he wants. Great. It plays well. Yeah. Well, I mean, his game plays very well in the playoffs as well, because, you know, it obviously gets more physical when you get to the postseason. You have a big body guy like that that can go to the net. That can really make a difference. And, and you know, it made a difference for the Rangers for a lot of years. So, you know, it's good to hear that at least there's one Flyer fan out there who's happy with what they're getting from Kevin Hayes. Yeah, I, I honestly can't believe people are so down about this. I mean, just the numbers are not what make a player unless you're buying right. a Panarin, who, by the way, is doing great for you guys. Oh, he's been fantastic. And yeah, no, I mean, that's a great point. You know, it's not always about, you know, just the goals and the assists. I mean, Hayes, you know, he, he brings a lot to the table, big physical presence on both sides of the ice. And yeah, I mean, he, I think he's done just fine for you guys. Now, would you concede that it was a little bit of an overpayment or you're, you're totally cool with what they're shelling out to him? I think from a leadership perspective and everything, I mean, we're paying Vorchek 10 million a year. So right. how, 
how can you not say that Hayes is worth seven when Voracek skates around like he doesn't even know where he's at? He's, I don't think he even knows he's playing <laughs> hockey sometimes, just skating around out there. Yeah, and well, I mean, one of the other things that I think people forget sometimes is what what are we now? Like about a third of the way through the season, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, a little more. I mean, yeah, I mean, the story hasn't been written for Kevin Hayes here yet. I mean, he's only played, you know, 30-something games with the Flyers. I mean, there's plenty of time for him to, you know, continue to get better, continue to get used to his teammates, and continue to, I mean, he's living in a new city, too. You know, there's there's the human aspect for it as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Kevin Hayes is going to be just fine with the Flyers. And, you know, his numbers aren't that bad, but more than anything, I mean, he's been stabilizing. Our penalty kill was terrible last year. So yeah. having him there to stabilize that, we're now top of the league, I think, not number one, but very close to the top for penalty kill. That's huge. I mean, special teams getting power play goals is very important, but you're going to give up penalties at some point. I know you Rangers have been giving up quite a few. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, to your point, yes, the Flyers have done very well in the penalty kill. They're at 82.4%. That's good for ninth in the league. And, you know, special teams, it makes a huge difference. And especially when you get into the postseason, I mean, you can't be giving up power play goals left and right. And it's it's good to hear that, you know, Kevin Hayes has kind of solidified that unit for those guys. Rangers on the flip side, 23rd in the league. The PK has really been up and down all season. I mean, they, they've done okay at times. They went through a really bad stretch where I swear they were giving up at least two power play goals per game, and they were just a complete <laughs> mess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I don't, it's one of those things. I mean, they're a young team. It's, it's just an area they got to get better at. But, you know, it's good It's good to hear that, you know, it, not every Flyer fan, as I said, is is on the, you know, screw Kevin Hayes bandwagon. Yeah, and also, was that tirade coming when Zinbenejad was out? Zinbenejad, for you guys, is very strong on the puck both sides of the ice what he missed like 13 games yeah so i was wondering I if you was... had maybe a drought during then did you notice anything different was it then that you're having a I mean, struggle no i mean that wasn't really the time that the pk was struggling it was more after he was back but you know with zabanajad it, it really hurt them when he was gone obviously you know he's one of the top one or two threats on the team and you know they felt that i thought they hung in there for as good as they as long as they could, Ryan Strom kind of stepped up in the interim. You know, he was he was playing on the first line alongside Panarin, so they hung in there. But it it drove you crazy as a Ranger fan because it seems like anytime the Rangers you know announce an injury and however much time somebody's going to miss, basically just like multiply by three, and that's the real amount of time that they're going to be out. <laughs> and like with with Zibanejad, right from the start, it was like, oh, he's day to day. Oh, he's still day to day. Oh, maybe tonight? No, not tonight. Maybe tomorrow? No. And it just kept going, and eventually he got back in there, and you know. Always a breath of fresh air to, to get a player of his caliber back on the ice. Yeah, and I had him on fantasy hockey, or I have him. And yeah, same thing. I'm looking at it every day. Like, okay, you're not going to put him on injured reserve? What are you going to do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> What are you guys going to do? Help me out here. Yeah, like we don't even know what his injuries are because they only say upper body, lower body. They don't really tell you anymore. Yeah, Which I, kind wonder, of I wonder if that's because other players will attack you on the ice in those spot you know, know that is a great point and that's not something i've ever really considered that might be the reason you know i thought because i talked about this you know we had uh we did a crossover episode with hunter from locked on penguins and it's the same thing with the penguins you know they uh they're very vague with their injuries and you know we thought maybe it, it could have something to do with with player privacy or trying to give them as much privacy as is possible for a pro athlete but yeah you might be onto something there man it might be you know so that other players on opposing teams can't you know go after a shoulder or go after a chest or whatever it might be yeah, and I mean, having played enough ice hockey, even beer league style, people are dirty in hockey. It's a self-mediating game, and that's where you see yeah. fights, which is a shame to see the fights going out because the refs are never going to be able to catch everything going on. And Briere and all those guys, years of just skating up behind somebody and lifting their stick between their legs, those types of things happen all the time. And it takes yep. the Wayne Simmons or whoever you got for a fighter to go out there and mediate that. 
and have repercussions for it. And it's kind of a shame to see it get out of control. Like for us, Konechny the other night got smoked in a pretty illegal hit. I don't, I don't know. They didn't really they didn't say it was that bad, but it was pretty close. Game of concussion. And the only yeah. people there to fight were Voracek. So it's like, <laughs> what are you going to do Like with Voracek's coming after somebody? Yeah, it's kind of – enforcers have kind of gone the way of the dodo bird in the NHL, you could say. I mean, the, the Rangers, they have Michael Haley, and they know if there's going to be like a rivalry game, they'll he, – he's quite often a healthy scratch for the team. But if they know – if they if they're up against a team that they know is going to look to start trouble with them, he'll be out there, and, and he will still fight. And it's cool to see those throwback players every now and then, but I, I guess the Flyers don't really have a guy who fits that description. No, and we lost Simmons. It's been a really hurting – and, I mean, you can get some grinders to be on your fourth line, but they're not really out there – when it matters and right, having right. him in there all these years has been great because he's a top line guy on the power play and everything. It's been really sad to not see him in the lineup and yeah. also physically we're bringing up Morgan Frost and a couple of really tiny guys. We need bigger enforcement and Kevin Hayes being six, five was huge for us just size wise. Cause we were, well, we've been so small lately. Yeah. And I mean, you think about the flyers and you think, you know, broad street bullies, you think this big, tough physical team and you know, the flyers, they're just one of those teams they should be a team that's out there looking to throw their weight around. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But anymore, we're not. I mean, our identity is totally yeah. different now. And we're going to get into this later, but the Rangers shot problems where they haven't been shooting enough and things like that, taking a lot of shots. I'm looking at right. the Corsi averages, and it was not good earlier in the season. You guys have gotten a lot better. But uh, it doesn't always indicate a bad thing if you're not shooting enough. Because in Panarin's case, he's making plays. I mean, if you're going to waste a shot and have him clear the zone, what's the point? I mean, if you get in there and you get a nice pass or something, that results in a goal more often than the lucky stall shot from the point. Just want to take a quick minute to let you guys know that today's Locked On podcast is sponsored by Casper. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL and using locked NHL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcasts.com slash offers. You know, you, you brought up Corsi, and that's one of the things that we want to talk about here today. So let's just jump right into it. You know, I haven't really talked a lot about that on this show from what I understand, and like I know you've been kind of crunching the numbers over there, it basically just measures your effectiveness on the ice. How many you know scoring chances you generate versus how many are given up when you're on the ice. I mean, is that kind it's of even more vague than notes? that? Actually, yeah. it's is it really okay? Anytime you shoot the puck, if it's blocked, you miss the net, whatever happens, that counts as a shot. And again, okay. it's the same thing. If you block one, if they miss, whatever. Which, if somebody's trying to pass off the wall, that might be counted. I mean, it's kind of a vague stat in some ways, yep. but. When I look at somebody like, I don't know, let's take Truba. Truba has 600 shots against him while having 481 shots taken. So he's over 100 deficit. Right. Sure. And you were he was one of the guys, because, you know, we talked about this before we did the show, but he was one of the guys who, who you mentioned did not have a good Corsi. And he did go through a stretch, you know, he started the season kind of hot. He was picking up a lot of assists. Then he went through like maybe a six or seven game stretch where he, he clearly was not playing well on either side of the ice. But recently, I thought he's been great. And, you know, you hear that he has a bad Corsi, and it, it does make you scratch your head a little bit. I think it's it's one of those things that's kind of like, you know, the baseball metrics where they do they do give you some information. They do tell you certain things about certain players, but not an infallible formula. I mean, would you agree with that? 
yes and no, because it can yeah. show you a lot about your game without necessarily, it's hard to say, because earlier on, he had about the same differential with 200 shots for and like 300 against. He has basically gone 50% since. So that 100 deficit started at the beginning of the season. So they've been about 50-50 ever since midseason, what we've played so far. So since then, they've been great. And it's making their numbers all come better. And actually, uh, Chaitel, is that how you say his name? Heedle. Heedle? Philip Heedle. Yep, Heedle. Yep. Heedle. <laughs> yeah, I made that mistake too. You see it, and it's like, oh, Chaitle. Yeah, I had no idea. A lot of these guys I haven't seen before, and they're young, and they're like your defensemen are insane. I mean, I've been looking through all these. You have a great team for rebuilding in a year, which is what it's, it feels like. Very exciting. And, you know, we as fans, you know, whether you're a Flyer fan or a Ranger fan or whatever team you cheer for, you, you can be impatient a little bit, but like, I'm just trying to stay patient with this team because I know how young they are. And at least the Rangers now, I, we talked about this yesterday with uh, JD from Locked On Ducks, but there's a plan in place with the Rangers. You, they are putting it all back together. And I think it took guts to do this like complete teardown rebuild that they're in the middle of right now. And they're already, I mean, you know, not the best record. They're on the outside of the playoff picture looking in, but you're starting to see the fruits of the labor as far as this rebuild is concerned because there are some young, exciting, fast players on this team. And it, it's really exciting to see as a fan. You know, it's a really different kind of rebuild. It's a quick one because you didn't draft your own players. A lot of these yeah. came from like, uh, uh, let's see, Tony D'Angelo came from Tampa Bay Lightning's first round pick, 19th overall. Uh, Brendan Smith came from Detroit's in 2007. He's kind of irrelevant. Let's see who else I got. Uh, <laughs> Brett Howden, he was first round Tampa Bay. He was part of the pick. billion trades that we've made with Tampa Bay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, even Zimbenejad, first overall sixth pick. And he was yeah, a great that, that was part of guard. I love yeah. that trade you guys got. Yeah, no, I here's the I, I remember you you were so excited for for me really when that trade was made. And you know, I'm I'm such a Derek Broussard fan. I still love that guy to this day, man. He's one of my favorite players on hockey, even though he's on the Islanders. But you look at that trade and you do realize, you know, Zabanajad is five years younger. There's far more upside there, and and you're seeing it. I mean, he's he's truly become a superstar in this league. And you know, it, it was a trade that was totally worth making. I know. I'm so jealous. Same with. Uh... <laughs> signing our uh, Panarin in the first place. I mean, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that was, was awesome. Cause I mean, they, they created some cap space and you know, now you've got your centerpiece. You build around this guy. Oh my God. What a injection into your team positively. I mean, he just gives you that. The reason why you're fighting so hard in the third period is not only all these first round picks with their uh, class that it comes with all the pressure that they've been through already, just at a young age. I mean, a third period has a lot to do with keeping your mind straight. And really focusing on the basics. And you got a guy who was drafted from the KHL, not even drafted, but a phenom, and you land him. I mean, your team's got to think you got a shot at every minute of the game. Even if you're down three goals, you got to figure we can put it together with Panarin. Yeah, and it's it's shown up this year as well. The Rangers have been one of the best third period teams really in hockey. You know, they as far as plus minus goals, I don't know exactly where it sits right now. And they did have a really bad third period against the Maple Leafs not too long ago. They went in there tied at three and they ended up losing six to three. But that game notwithstanding, I mean, the Rangers have been awesome in the third period. So you might be onto something there as far as, you know, these guys, they just kind of have that pedigree. They know how to do all the little things right. And they just know how to win games. And they they put their best foot forward when it's all on the line. Yeah. How uh, how ready are you to see Mark Stahl go? <laughs> <laughs> all these you know, years I've, we've been, I've been tough i've been tough on mark Stahl over the years but i will say i think he's been okay this year it's at least at the point where he's he's serviceable but the thing that like always like kind of bothered me about Stahl is like 
this dude was supposed to be like, if not the best defenseman in hockey, then like, I mean, top five or top 10 at the very least. I mean, he came with so much hype and he was going to be this monster two-way defenseman. And, you know, five or six years into his career, you kind of just give up on the offensive side. You know, he's, exactly. he's not, that's just not going to happen. Um, I mean, I don't know. He's, he's at least serviceable. And I, I do think he does have some value to this team, particularly because you, I mean, we've, we've been talking about these defensemen and how young they are. Um, you know, Stahl's the only veteran defenseman that they have. And he's, I believe the third oldest player on the team, if, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I mean, he does have a little bit of a veteran presence, but yeah, I mean, when, when his contract runs up, I'm, I'm sure he'll be on his way at that point. Yeah, it's a shame because you'd think being the youngest brother of Eric and Jordan, he would be the best. They usually get better as they get younger because they have more practice with their older brothers beating up on him. He just didn't have, I guess, the talent that they did offensively or maybe he didn't play as much. I don't know. I'd love to know the stall story a little better. But yeah, what a shame because he was touted as being such a high pick. And then you and I for years are like, put him on the third pair, please. <laughs> move uh, him down, move him down. Yeah. Shrink his, uh, his, his ice minutes, yeah, for sure. But yeah, he is a monster and he is a veteran now at this point. And his brothers are in it. I mean, he's gotten a lot of looks in uh basically any political way just because he's such a big name it's like being eli yeah. manning when your brother's peyton coming into the league so yeah you've got a little bit of cachet that, that comes with that yeah that's for sure exactly whether that's more pressure that caused him to be bad or good in a sense i don't know but uh yeah he's, he's a good case now we've been obviously we've been friends since freshman year of college we've been talking hockey since we were 18 years old i mean geez that's like 15 years now Oh, and yeah. I know it's crazy, right? But I know <laughs> one of the things that we've that we've always talked about is the Flyers goaltending situation and the fact that it's just been such a revolving door for the Flyers for all these years. They just cannot find a true franchise goalie. But Carter Hart, man, I mean, he is really impressed last season and even more so this season. Is he your man? Do you guys finally have the goalie that you're going to go forward with and he's going to be there for, you know, five, maybe even ten years? Short answer, yes. Long answer. Let's go back to the goalies that I have had that you've been laughing at me as you're sitting there with Longwood. <laughs> Brian yep. Boucher, Czech Monik, uh, who was Brzgalov was Mr. Universe. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we have had, <laughs> we've overpaid for goalies. We've well, and not to cut that, you off, but, but real okay. quick, I do have to mention Sergei Bavrovsky as well. And he was the one guy that maybe oh, should have been there no. long term. And, and, you know, what, what a goalie he turned out to be. But anyway, continue. Didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, you're right. But Bob, for some reason, Bob was not that good for us to start. That's I'd fair. be tempted yeah. to blame it on our defense back then. Yeah. I mean, Philly is notorious for, like, Andre Mazzaro scores a couple overtime goals. And we're like, he's the best defenseman ever. Shane Gostaspear, same thing. We think he's awesome because he scores a few goals. But they need to play defense. They're defenders. Yes. They are defensemen. <laughs> and everybody defense. is so critical of the Flyers going out and getting Justin Braun and Niskanen, who are 32. And I'm like, first of all, I'm 34 and I feel pretty strong. <laughs> but, <laughs> but second of all, not only is there the veteran presence, but they're both good defensemen. And yep. I don't care if they're going to score a million points, which Niskanen is also awesome on offense, by the way. I mean, we bought, we went after Niskanen and said, hey, we'll give you Gudas and we'll take $4 million of Niskanen's salary off your back if you just give it to us. So, uh, and Washington was in cap troubles. Oh my God, he took a puck to the face and was out the next period with a shield on i mean he's a tough guy too niskin he's not the biggest but he just does everything right and like pronger like back in the day i always use pronger as an example people would skate down on him because he was such an ogre it wasn't the size of him physically checking anybody or anything he would just poke the puck away i mean when you have the longest stick in the league and you're the tallest guy you have that reach 
And just one little tip of the puck as they're coming in the zone stops everything compared to getting into the weeds behind the net where you're grinding along the wall. You don't, I don't need that if you just do the initial play well. And that comes no, that- from experience and some savvy plays on the blue line, which Niskanen definitely has. And yeah, the, the whole eye test on defensemen is really tough. You, you got to listen to your coaches sometimes, which having your coach is awesome. Elaine Vigneault <laughs> is great. Yeah, I always liked him. And, you know, it, it's again, it's one of those things, the Rangers, you know, they started to struggle his last season there and fans kind of turned on a little bit and, you know, somewhat understandably so because in the last year there, the, the Rangers did take a step back, but I always thought he was a good coach and he led the Rangers on some very deep playoff runs. I mean, show me a better Ranger coach really like just about ever because, okay, they won the Stanley Cup in 1994 and Mike Keenan gets fired the year after that. So, I mean, yeah, they won the cup, but he was so difficult to work with that they couldn't even, you know, have him around for longer than one season. And before that, they hadn't won the cup since 1940. So show me a better Ranger coach over the years than Elaine Vigneault, who at least brought us to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think twice their season ended in the Conference Finals. And then the one time, of course, they made it to the Finals. And in back-to-back seasons, being down three games to one to the Penguins and Capitals and coming back. And listen, I realize Elaine Vigneault isn't the guy out on the ice skating around and making it happen, but nevertheless, he's guiding them out of that. And he's pushing all the right buttons and, and keeping their head, you know, on straight in a tough situation in back-to-back seasons. So I love AV, man, but h- how do you feel about him? Are Flyer fans happy with him? I mean, what, what's, what's the general consensus there? Well, I think we're pretty happy with him. I mean, we got Mike Yao, and I think there's another NHL head coach that we have as an assistant coach. I should really know his name. I can't remember. But we have, like, Colmgren, our GM, took Hextall out of the picture, which is kind of uh-huh. sad because Hextall built all of our prospect pool. Everything you're seeing now with the Flyers is a product of Hextall. But they got uh-huh. impatient because last year we didn't make playoffs. And they're like, we need to win now. We need to make more aggressive moves, which is typical Holmgren when he sells off Carter and everybody after our <laughs> conference run. Or uh, actually, the Stanley Cup run, we had no six. I mean, same thing with Holmgren. He just sells everybody before he should. But anyway, Elaine Vigneault, for you guys, was doing the rebuild process, I feel like, because he was dealing with a bad team and bringing a lot of your young players up at the same time. And he is miraculous at that with us. If you're not playing well, he will send you down or send you the fourth line and bring a kid up because he's used to it. I feel like he's worked with your younger team. He's worked with our team. He can tell when a guy's going. I've seen him make adjustments mid-game, change up lines. I mean, he's really good at analyzing what the team needs and who's playing well and who's not and says the right thing to people to get them motivated. Yeah. I think um, there was some kind of, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to say controversy, but there were definitely some eyebrows raised when, when JVR was moved down, you know, out of the top six. And I, I think even now he's, he's skating on the third line. I mean, what can you say about that move? Was it, was it warranted? And did, did AV risk, you know, losing the locker room at that situation? Because, you know, JVR has been there for a long time and he's been a great player. I mean, what, what was the feeling when, when J, JVR was moved down to, you know, a bottom six forward? Well, it's no coincidence that our best forward has the shortest shift time of about 31 seconds. So right. if you can have four, and the Flyers were only going to the Stanley Cup before because we had such a deep team. You had three lines you could roll that were great lines and dominant. Now, imagine if you have four lines that you could trust in all situations. And remember, Kevin Hayes is tired on a penalty kill. He's not going to go out and be the power play guy, too. You need different talent to be able to put out at different times because they, at times, they will go on runs where you need Giroux out there four faceoffs in a row. You need somebody to come in and fill. So depth is so important, and that's where you guys are struggling right now. 
Yeah. We are abundant with it, except for Oscar Lindblom going down. It's sad. So when JVR goes to the fourth line, he's not a fourth line player. That is not to me a fourth line. It's basically like we have two third lines rolling and he's working with kids. And if you look at the time that he's on the ice, I mean, he's playing the fourth line a lot. Yeah. And it's great because it gives your first line more rest, your second line more rest. Everybody's getting more rest when your fourth line's doing well. I think that's a change you're going to see in the NHL across the board is people having more balanced lines throughout. Yeah, and, you know, to your point, uh, AV did that a lot with the Rangers, too. You know, and, and this year, you know, I, I like Quinn, but he doesn't play the fourth line all that much. And part of the reason for that is they just don't have the depth in the fourth yeah, line, just, frankly. Yeah, they're, they're just they're not going to make things happen. It's, it's just not going to happen. But, yeah, no, AV was, was notorious for that. I mean, he would he would roll these guys. He would roll four of these lines out there. And the fourth line is usually almost always going to play less than the other three lines. But the Rangers' fourth line, when AV was there, they would get as much ice time as any fourth line in hockey. So it's interesting to know that he's still kind of rolling with that with that strategy with the Flyers as well. And I'll bet he moved some players down to that fourth line to make it better or brought guys up that maybe weren't as young, more trustworthy guys. I mean, it's funny what he's doing on that fourth line for us. But, I mean, we have four great, talented lines. We have so many good players right now. It's crazy because of yeah. our drafting and because we picked up Hayes and JVR through acquisition. I mean, we are overloaded at this point and it's great because then you get oscar lindblom happening connecting gets a concussion the same week and we're down two of our best players and it doesn't even feel like it now jvr is yeah. up on a higher line and we're running like you guys are where you don't have as talented a squad so you got to focus on your top three lines and you're almost punting with your fourth line like just go out there and don't allow any goals throw your weight around a little bit you know brendan smith plays on the fourth line and you know he'll, he'll throw some checks around but yeah for the most part i mean there's just there aren't there aren't going to be any goals coming when the Rangers fourth line is on the ice, and I hate to say that, but it, it's fairly accurate. Yeah, when you got JVR on the fourth line with a kid who's got some moves, I mean, you could count on that fourth line to get something for us. Yep. No, it's and a great he's being point. pulled up to the power play. Same thing before too. He's going to be power play. James Van Reeves like he's going to get tired, so throw him on the fourth line, and every time he's on a power play, he's fresh. Keep him out there for a minute and a half as you roll through two power play groups, and just leave him as the point man in front of the net. JVR is not, he's a gentle giant, as I would call it. <laughs> but he's big, um, you can't move him, but he's not exactly crushing people or anything like that. Yeah, I hear you. Um, now, one more thing. I know we talked about Corsi a little bit earlier. I wanted to let you get back to that because I know you were looking up, you know, the Rangers and the Flyers. Was there anything, and you mentioned Truba, he does not have a good Corsi. Did anybody, you know, Ranger or Flyer, did anything kind of jump out to you? Was there anything kind of surprising either that somebody had a good Corsi that you weren't really expecting or they had a bad one and you weren't expecting that either? Anything that jumped out? Well, a couple things. Uh, seeing that your point producers are four of your D-men in the top nine point producers for you guys, four D guys. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, no, they're they're near the top of the league as far as points for defensemen. They might even be in first at this point. That is great. And if yeah. they're holding it down on defense too, which a lot of their plus minuses are above. So Yeah, that's been a down. little hit or miss. That's been a little hit or miss. But they're they're they're, they're learning, you know. Yeah, I I just am really impressed with your yeah. defensive core and how young they are too. I mean, Adam Fox is phenomenal. Uh who's the other one that was really good? Uh, uh, D'Angelo, yeah. yeah, which I was really hard on him at first because his numbers look like crap at the beginning of the season. But yep. then you were telling me he's great. I watched him a few times. I was like, oh, okay, this guy's actually pretty good. But yeah, he's a little bit of a question mark on that. So when you're having shot imbalance, it can be one of two things. Either you're not ripping shots like you see with Stahl, just shoot at the net, anything can happen, or you're getting cute. And I think in the Rangers' case, they were just getting beat 
game after game because you only have so many lines of solid talent. The Flyers, yep. if they were in that situation, I would say they're getting cute because we have plenty of talent up and down the lineup. It's not like we're getting ground on. Because, I mean, if you think about Malkin and Crosby, that's all they have on Penguins. As soon as you beat those two lines and you really shut them down, what else do they have to come at you with? And that's kind of yeah, how you it, attack It's a little bit of a top-heavy team, yeah. Yeah, top-heavy teams, it, but you're not going to win. Uh, granted, they did go to the Stanley Cup and win with a top-heavy team, but they always find those Haglins or somebody like that to fill in those third lines. They've been lucky to have great talent to follow it up. Yeah, I mean, some of the teams that, you know, at least went to the Stanley Cup final and or won it with the Penguins, I think they had a little more depth than this current iteration of the Penguins has. But no, it's a great point. I mean, it, it's hard to, you know, you can have one or two or three superstars, but you get to the playoffs, man, and it's it's so physically taxing and mentally taxing as well. You got to be able to roll a couple different lines out there that can make things happen and play good hockey. Yeah, and I don't see anybody on your Corsi average that jumps out as being uh, like really about like the whole team is about the same average of about forty eight percent, which is forty eight to forty percent, which means that sixty percent of the shots are at the other end. Forty percent, you're taken. Gotcha. Makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning, man. You know, it's it's an interesting stat. And, you know, it's one of those things I'll definitely keep an eye on it going forward. It, it is cool because, you know, you have the eye test to go by, but now you got actually something you can, you can measure, you know, something tangible. So yeah. Panarin has had 500 shots go against the Rangers while he's out there, and he's taken 473 as a team, not just him, everybody, while he's on the right. That's pretty balanced. I mean, that's about 50-50, and he was down a lot couple months ago when I looked like in your first 15 games of the season he was down a lot and right. the, you were looking like 40 was the average now you're at about 47 is the average for Corsi so your shots are getting way better I don't know what it is that you guys are doing though unless the defense are getting better you're just ripping more shots and not getting as cute because Panarin could make you want to get cute because he's good at well, passing set up that perfect guaranteed goal rather than just blindly flailing and now you'll have to skate back because the goalie just grabbed and plays over yeah, they definitely have been putting an emphasis on shooting the puck a little bit more because, you know, for a long time this season, they, as far as like scoring percentage per shot was concerned, they were, again, you know, top five, top seven kind of a team. But that also tells you that these guys aren't pulling the trigger unless they think they have like a golden opportunity. And sometimes, man, I mean, we've talked about this over the years. You just got to put the puck at the net and take your chances. Yep. And yeah. again, though, I would disagree because you don't want to just take bad shots or you have your whole team in in the zone and you're ripping a bad shot that goes right in the glove of the goalie. Well, you had position, you had everybody there. That's hard to do. So if you're going to waste it with a shot, it's, you know, I know the this zone entry, the work you did behind the net, and then you go and fling one at the net for him to just grab glove easily. And now you get a face. It's just, I don't know. Hey, you know what like... though? See, this is, this is one of those things we've always like kind of agreed to disagree on this because you know what? I'll take an offensive zone face off. That's not the worst thing in the world. And, yeah, I mean, it might look like a low percentage shot, but I mean, you look at, you know, I, I think you mentioned this earlier, even the, the goal that was set up by, you know, Stahl took a shot from the blue line and he's not going to score on this in all likelihood, but maybe the goalie gets screened. Maybe it bounces off of one of the players or maybe, you know, what happens is what happened is the puck just falls at the stick of Pavel Buchnevich and he just stuffs it home. I don't know, man. I've just always been a fan of, you know, just get that puck at the net. When in doubt, if you really don't know what to do with the puck, just just fling it at the net. The Flyers, for your, the Flyers fans will boo at our power play. We boo at everybody, obviously. We're Philly. But uh, <laughs> when they're holding the puck too long, we will yell, shoot. Because for years, we've had Drew and Voracek running our number one power play unit. And they don't shoot. They just pass, 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 pass. 
that has changed. And I mean, we get a lot. Drew is one of the best power play players ever. So he believes in get the good shot. Don't waste it. If you're in zone, you have position, send those cross ice passes, do really tricky passes to make sure they're wide open on the other side of the net. So it's a guarantee. That's the point of the power play, which I love. But at the same time, Flyers have not been very good at that over the years. We've had low shot totals. Recently, Drew's methodology, and I say Drew because I feel like he kind of comes up with these trick plays because he's the one who finds like Braden Shen and he's setting him up like he did Hartnell where he does the like behind the net pass to him in the slot. I don't know if you've seen that gadget play. Uh, like, not specifically from the Flyers, but I, I, I can picture it in my head. I know what you're talking about. Basically the hash marks in the middle Yep. on either circle. Drew will sit behind the net almost in the corner and pass to that hash mark and it'll be a quick shot at the net. Very close shot, quick shot, one-timer type thing. He set that up with Hartnell for years. Yeah. And then he did yep. it with Braden Shen and he still does it time to time, but he's always looking for that gadget. And the latest gadget is the shot for a purposeful deflection where they'll shoot it low and right at somebody to get a deflection rather than just shooting at the net hoping for a deflection they're literally eyeing a person to hit and i've seen it a few times this year that it just looks beautiful and if they're not doing that then they're shooting either off the boards to somebody like missing on purpose to try and get the bounce to go to the middle you know those redirection goals they can really be a thing of beauty and you know again bobby thanks again for joining today this has been a blast but we do have to wrap things up here do you have a prediction for tonight what will the final score of this game be Honestly, it's hard to know. I mean, you guys are in a really good trend right now, but we've been playing Anaheim Ducks, which isn't really that stiff a competition. So it's hard to yeah, know. Yeah, well, we just we took them out yesterday, and they had half their team was either sick or injured. So it was it was a yeah, fairly heard, easy win for the Rangers. Yeah, I heard your last podcast. Yeah, there's just nobody. Yeah, but for tonight, I mean, I don't look at any one game as being that important because I mean, any given night you can hit the post five times instead of scoring five goals. It's just how this game is. I will say that the Flyers are going to win. <laughs> <laughs> you got to at least give a uh, score, man. What, what's the score? I'll give it 4-3 uh, Flyers in overtime. I'm, in overtime. Interesting. I'm going to say uh, the Rangers come away with a 3-2 win here. And it kind of goes against what you might expect because both these teams can score some goals. So, yeah, I mean, you would think maybe a high-scoring game tonight, but I just get the feeling these are two division rivals. It's their first time playing each other this year. They're going to be at each other's throats. Everything's going to be tightly contested. And both teams know that they're getting a, a nice Christmas break after this. The Rangers will be off the next three days. The Flyers will be off the next four days. So I'm going to say the Rangers 3-2 to two victory tonight. Really? Mm, yeah. I like that. All right, so, Bobby, once again, thanks for joining the show. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll have to do this again in the future. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. All right, and uh, everybody listening, Rangers fans, Flyers fans, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time.